Welcome to CrossFit versus Pregnancy, the podcast for the first time or new fit mum who's looking for reassurance and guidance about training throughout their pregnancy. I'm Misha, a coach who went from competitive bodybuilder to crossfitter to expecting first-time mum all in 18 months. Having searched through what feels like the entire web for do's and don'ts, I realised that the best way I could prepare for a CrossFit baby would be to speak to those with first-hand experience and share mine week by week. From coaches to athletes, new mums to veteran parents, you can follow my CrossFit pregnancy journey as well as learn from those who have successfully lived through it. Welcome back everyone, it's episode 8 which sounds mad to say. I can't believe we're already eight episodes in, uh, but I'm loving it, of course. This is CrossFit versus Pregnancy. Last week, we had a very special edition of Nutrition versus Pregnancy. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you haven't had a listen, go back in and have a listen. It was incredibly insightful. Um, and although this podcast is, of course, um, mostly thinking about training and pregnancy... I thought it would be really fitting for those of us that are pretty informed and educated about being healthy and fit, how nutrition is such an important part of pregnancy as well. So go and have a listen. But today I am 21 weeks pregnant and I am again joined by the amazing Charlotte. Hi Charlotte. Hi. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. Are you all okay? I am great I, I say yeah. that in a way that I've obviously just come back recently last week from a holiday and I had the most wonderful perfect time I'll talk about it in a minute but it's kind of come back and I was really looking forward to getting back to kind of everything routine um, I love a routine I really thrive on a routine and like the same amount of sleep each night and getting up at the same time each day and getting back to work and kind of getting stuck in with all these projects that I have coming up and now I'm like six days in and I'm like god god I need yeah, a like, holiday did I even go on did I even go on holiday at this <laughs> exactly. point <laughs> exactly it goes from one extreme to the other but no everything is everything is really good everything's great so yeah. To give a little update, I don't think I've shared this with you um, away from the podcast and I kind of did it on purpose to tell you about it now. So last time we spoke, I was 17 weeks and I just had my first internal scan to measure the length of my cervix and I was told everything was okay, but I was going to be seeing uh, the consultant regularly to, to have keep check on that essentially. That weekend, actually the following weekend, Ollie and I went shopping or kind of window shopping for the first time in relation to things that we need for the baby we're talking more bigger furniture type things to get an idea of how much we need to save and spend and be on the same page in terms of um you know the way that things look and the way that things are and how they're going to fit in with our house etc so we went um to a variety of different shops we were quite overwhelmed by the price of things, as always, babies are not <laughs> cheap. Um, babies are uh, very expensive. Yes, they are. But, you know, but we were very much on the same page. So I had a really good day. and But I could tell that Ollie was struggling a bit with the kind of connection of the whole thing. And, and so when we got home, he basically just said, I can't do this anymore. I 
don't worry, this isn't a bad thing. Um, <laughs> I'm I holding my breath anymore. now. <laughs> <laughs> I need to know what we're having. I need. I need oh. to know. I really. I really struggled with today because he felt like if he knew the gender of the baby, he would be able to kind of understand a little bit more about the things that we were buying and if they were appropriate. Not that we're kind of being, you know, oh, we need to buy blue things if it's a boy and pink if it's a girl. Not we're not like that. But I think. For, for the for the boys we've spoken about this before um you know they don't have that physical and emotional connection the same as we do growing the baby so this was his way of saying like, i really need this to be able to kind of connect a bit more so oh, bless him long story short i we ended up having it the following day <laughs> <laughs> amazing i'm very impressed you managed to get that booked in <laughs> well it was uh, we we booked it for the the day we got back off holiday we were going on holiday uh i think perhaps that week no we weren't we were going the following week on holiday so it was going to be in about two two and a half weeks time that we had it and he just said well it's a private clinic do you think that they'll be open on a sunday so um I rang them on the Sunday morning and said, I don't suppose you've got anything today. And they said yes, because he was going oh, back to amazing. work. Yeah, he was going back to work the following day. So we had a private scan, completely different experience to um, the NHS. In, in Not in a bad way or a good way. They just obviously had more time for us. I think I mentioned this before. Obviously, it will be. I'm sure it will be different at different parts of the country. But to give you guys a little bit of an insight, in case it's something you're thinking about doing, if your local NHS don't offer gender scans, it cost us sixty pounds. We got a huge amount of digital pictures. I'm talking twenty, maybe. 20 oh my pictures. god! Normally, you get like two. one, two, yeah. two. Well, I've had at three NHS scans. I've had two on the first one on the second and two on the one I had most recently. So yeah, we got tw about 20 digital images. We also oh. got them all printed out. And something that I think was very sweet, Ollie didn't want to find out in there. He wanted to be able to come away and just us find out together. Because oh, that's so lovely. We didn't want to do a gender reveal or anything like that. Well, that's not us. Um, so we had an amazing experience in in the scan. I don't know if you've seen it on my social media, but the baby actually flexed at us, which was brilliantly amusing. Brilliant. <laughs> um, we couldn't we couldn't believe it. The baby was fairly inactive. It was facing away from the scan. Um, it was face was pressed up against my placenta, and you can see that in one of the four D images that we got. Actually, I'll send it to you, Charlotte. It's pretty crazy, but you yeah. can see that it's kind of really trying to hide. And right at the last minute, the baby like spun over and just flexed. It was mental. <laughs> knows who knows who mummy and daddy is. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. That's hilarious. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really lovely experience. And um, so we bought because I I think I've said this to you before. I'm pretty sure this is why Ollie wanted to um, have a gender scan. We bought a confetti cannon that. <laughs> and you're it making was, me excited now <laughs> it was it was really lovely and so then they they also kind of wrote it down in a sealed envelope gave us the appropriate cannon and sent us on our way we rushed home ollie literally couldn't wait went into the garden now we don't have a very we have um we live in like beautiful rolling countryside but we don't have a very big garden and um 
we don't really get on with our neighbour. So just to paint a bit of a picture. <laughs> and uh, we rushed outside, I pressed record, popped the confetti and it went everywhere and i'm talking like <laughs> down the street like oh my every- god <laughs> i didn't think that there would be that much confetti guys i'm warning you now if you do this and you live in a small residential area or you have a small garden expect it to go down the street because that's what happened to us so we both kind of just stood in shock at first thinking shit we've just <laughs> how do we clean <laughs> like, this up yeah how do we do this and then then we kind of reacted because i was more shocked about the mess than thinking about anything else but to kind of put this story on halt now we have decided that we aren't going to tell anyone we are oh. just keeping it between the two of us. Keeping we haven't even hanging. To- I know. I was waiting. I was building it up. Um, we haven't even told our family. We haven't told any friends. Oh. We've just kept it between the two of us, and that might change. Um, you know, going forward, but I quite like that it's just between us. We've since been on holiday and been able to have conversations about names and middle names and just find it ollie's been finding it a bit easier to to think about the things that we need to buy and how you know just all things like that so it has been really nice experience keeping it between the two of us and it being like our little surprise which which is lovely although there are lots of people in my life that are like i can't believe you won't tell me (laughs) Um, but you know, but that's just the way it is, and it's I the way it that is we... nice. There's not, there's not a lot of things in life anymore. Like with social media and everything like that, there's not mm. a lot that you can actually keep to yourself. Absolutely. And I think, especially something as special as your first baby, um, I think that's I completely understand, and I think that's so lovely that it's something that you guys can announce together as a couple after baby gets here mm-hmm. um, and surprise everyone. Ah. Yeah. So apart apart from our street. <laughs> yeah, apart from your street, your no, your your street knows exactly what you're having. <laughs> yeah. So a few of my friends, since I've told them that, have been like, "So if I come to your street, scouring your street to try and find like a pink or blue confetti." I am pretty confident that we managed. It took us ages, but I'm pretty confident we got it all. So good luck, guys. So anyway, so that's happened. That happened literally the uh, week before we went away. Um. So that was lovely. Uh, we actually have already, subject to belief, because it is very early still, so I'm now 21 weeks, as I said, which is over halfway now, which is mad, but yes, we actually have already bought um, a couple of bits, even though the nursery is still my office currently, where I'm sat, <laughs> we have bought a cot and we have bought a set of chest of drawers, um, for those of you out there thinking, how am I going to afford all this? There are definitely some bits that you are recommended to buy brand new, but we have bought the cot and the Chester drawer set that we saw very pricey, um, in perfect condition on Facebook Marketplace for a third of the price. And it's in absolute perfect condition. All I will do is buy a brand new mattress and bedding, etc. But the solid wood frame, I mean, what's bad about there's, that there's no harm in that at all i think it, if anything it's better for the environment it's better for your yeah. purse you can yeah. you can upcycle it if that's if that's what you're into you could paint it a different color if you wanted to like there's so much you can do to make it yours yeah um and like you said it's for like a fraction of the price of what uh-huh. you pay normally 
Absolutely. And more importantly, we decided that we really liked it. We liked it based on its look and its colour and the way that we wanted the nursery to be. And so to find it at a third of the price was just a no-brainer for me. So we have got that. As far as anything else goes, no, you haven't bought a thing. But, um, <laughs> but at least we've started, started the process. So... As I said, we then went on holiday, which if you have seen my post that I literally put up yesterday, I know this is going out at a different time, but if you haven't seen on my social media, I actually put up a post about my experience of being pregnant in Egypt. Now, I have since heard from a few other people, a few other women, that it's similar in other countries. I'm just talking about my own personal experience of being in Egypt, about how I was met with quite a lot of judgment. I was also met with a lot of suggestion about what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing. And it really opened my eyes to how lucky and fortunate we are in the UK to have one access to the NHS and a great resource and of reassurance to um, I suppose the education and the passion to want to educate ourselves and inform ourselves about how we can successfully and healthily um, be pregnant and still live our lives without restriction. Um, and perhaps in Egypt it isn't encouraged or it isn't, you know, I don't know. But but yeah, it really surprised me at, it didn't surprise me so much about people telling you the best thing to do because I think that happens everywhere, I'm sure many pregnant women are met with, um, you know, oh, you should do this, or, you know, you look like this, or you should do that, because everybody has the answer once they've been through it. Of course they have. But in Egypt, it was more judgmental than anything. So to give you a couple of examples, um, on the first day, we had one of the waiters who then became our essentially our waiter for the entire time. We stayed in this gorgeous resort in Sharm El Sheikh, which we didn't leave at all. It was um, wonderfully staffed. It was, you know, it was beautiful. And I asked the waiter what time the gym opened and where it was. And he basically said, oh, here's the gym, blah, blah, blah. He can go to the gym and you can go and put, get your sunbeds because they get really busy and then you can meet here for breakfast. And I sort of laughed and said, well, what makes you think that I'm not going to the gym? And he said, because you're pregnant. Oh my God. <laughs> so that was just an insight um, into the gym thing. But yeah, I was met with quite a lot of shock, certainly from Egyptians, not so much from the Brits that we met, but yeah. And another thing which really made me laugh was Within our resort, I'm sure many of you have sort of come across these in All Inclusive, there were a number of a la carte restaurants that you could eat at in the evening. Um, there was a Lebanese restaurant, there was a Chinese restaurant, and there was an Indian restaurant. That sounds and amazing. <laughs> it was, it was, it was gorgeous, and the food was great, whatever. And when we, I, I really like really spicy food. I always have, since a very young age, the spicier the better. And I was told by a couple of other people we met that it was fairly mild. So I asked my waiter that I would like it really extra spicy. And he laughed and said, you can't have spicy food. The baby will come. <laughs> <laughs> I just Aww. didn't know what to say. I thought, are you, are you joking? He wasn't joking. He was really I serious. Mean, he was like, are you I sure? Can, I can kind of see his... <laughs> 
mind track because it's one of the old wives tales as yep. to when you're like well overdue to eat a really spicy curry <laughs> i have the uh the scientific reason as to why that is suggested so essentially a really spicy curry can irritate your bowels mm-hmm. and if your bowels are very irritated and irritable if your cervix uh, if your uterus is on the brink of maybe going into labor maybe not then an irritable bo- an irritable bowel um can then irritate the uterus which can cause it to start contracting mm-hmm. which is why a spicy curry is suggested and it's the same sort of reason as to why pineapple is suggested but I mean, the chances of it actually working, even when you're like 42 weeks pregnant, is so minimal that I'm pretty sure you're safe with your your hot curry at 20 weeks. <laughs> In, enjoy that spice. I personally wouldn't enjoy that spice, but you you, you go ahead and enjoy that spice. <laughs> and I did. Um, I said to him, don't be ridiculous, bring me the curry. And I didn't, it wasn't, it didn't blow my head off. Um, it wasn't my kind of spicy, but it was it was great. But yeah, that was just a couple of things that really made me laugh. Um, I was also met with a lot of recommendations from Egyptian women about the best way to go about my pregnancy, uh, what to expect, what I should and shouldn't be doing, etc. And yeah, basically it made me feel, it didn't make me feel anything, but really lucky to feel so informed and relaxed about my pregnancy because I'm sure people have gone to places like Egypt and met with all this scrutiny and judgment and have actually felt really down about it and worried and anxious about it so it was just quite funny really so but otherwise we had a wonderful holiday um (laughs) I did feel a bit strange I'm not gonna lie I felt a bit strange the first couple of days about being in a bikini and being pregnant just because I've never experienced it before I was more obviously pregnant, different cultures, I suppose, accept or um, see pregnancy as different things. And in our resort, there were a lot of Arabs who cover themselves up. Um, So I did feel very exposed, I think is the better word, very exposed for the first couple of days. And I felt a bit self-conscious in a way that I kind of had to remind myself that my body is changing I came away to relax and enjoy and I'm not the type of person to be easily to to feel easily judged I don't don't often feel like that so I kind of had to say to myself like this is ridiculous this isn't you don't feel like this and then I just didn't care after that but yeah it was a strange (laughs) it was a strange mindset to have when you've never really had a mindset like that before and I've never really thought about what other people think but the judgment look judgmental looks and felt like I was being looked at a lot and it wasn't you were in a different country um whether you would have still felt that way or not Mm. like if you were in I don't know Spain for example Mm. where a lady wandering around in a bikini is a very I don't know what word to use because I don't want to word, I don't want to use the word normal because normal is the wrong word to use completely. I know what you but, mean though. Uh, yeah, it's not like it's no different from anyone else. Like everyone walks around in a bikini. People even walk around topless in like Spanish beach resorts. Whereas, like you say, in Egypt and other Arab countries, it is almost frowned upon for a lady to be wearing a bikini full stop. Let alone being wearing a bikini and being pregnant at the same time. Mm. yeah Um, you're right I think where we stayed it was a 
it was a tourist resort. <laughs> so I think the expectation is that women, that everyone was, you know, all the women apart from the Arab ladies were wearing bikinis. So yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't that, that it wasn't normalised to wear a bikini. It was just, I stuck out because yeah. I was pregnant as opposed to sticking out because I was the only one wearing a bikini. So, but yeah, possibly I would have felt different in a different culture. But like I say, after a couple of days, I relaxed and actually enjoyed enjoyed being pregnant enjoyed yeah you know seeing my body in that way in in a bikini and and something to share was on the plane on the way out so bear in mind before this point I had felt the baby minimally i.e there were movements that were happening in my tummy that weren't gas that weren't my tummy <laughs> rumbling you know it ha- it, it didn't feel like Flutters. movement as much right it just felt subtle but yeah. so I could only liken it to being the baby rather than anything else when we got on the plane and we took off the baby went ballistic <laughs> and I'm talking I don't know what it was doing in there backflip swimming I, I, I described it at the time as swimming kicking to the point went on for an extended point of time that I felt physically sick and oh when this, I wasn't sat next to Ollie, um, just that's the way it is on planes these days. And when the seatbelt light turned on, off, sorry, I went straight over to him and I was like, the baby's going ballistic and I feel <laughs> so sick. And it's it was the weirdest thing. I don't know whether it was the change of altitude, it was just coincidental, like who knows, but... It was like all of a sudden the baby was like, I'm here and you need to know that I'm here. And it went on for quite a long time and it was really weird. And it wasn't actually a very nice experience because it made me feel so sick. Um, But then when we were in Egypt, the first couple of days, it was like the baby really liked the sun. It was really calm and there were just a few subtle kicks every now and then and when I'd sit in the shade it would like have a bit of a kick as if to be like get me back Aww. in the sun <laughs> <laughs> um so it was really nice to have that experience and and start to feel the baby and now well this moves me nicely onto um the the scan that we had just as we got back so we got back last Thursday we had a wonderful time we relaxed we had lots of treatments we went snorkeling we did everything that we wanted to do. We, you know, we didn't go there to have an adventure. We went there to relax. So it was perfect. And I would highly recommend a resort in Sharm El Sheikh if anyone is thinking about some winter sun. Because for two days, it was over 40 degrees and it was pretty unbearable. But it was gorgeous all the same. So we landed on uh, Thursday morning and we went for the 20-week anomaly scan Um Thursday afternoon. So, Charlotte, why don't you tell us a little bit about why this scan needs to be done and what it's all about? So, this scan, like you said, it's the anomaly scan. So, it's looking for any anomalies um, where the baby is developing. So, they check really, really in depthly. Check all of the different organs, um, particularly the heart. Um, I, you would have seen on your scan that you can sometimes see different colours. And that's where they are looking at the blood flow through the heart and making sure that the blood is flowing through the heart as it should be and there's no obvious sign for 
like holes and the heart is developed Mm -hmm. sort of fully as it should do they look very closely at the spine as well to make sure that the spine is um, fully fused at the bottom and there's Mm -hmm. no sign of a condition called spina bifida Um, and they look at the hands the feet they look at the placenta the umbilical cord everything like that and just make sure that everything is developing Mm -hmm. as it should be and as you'd expect it to be and then if there is any concerns or anything like that then they can intervene at that point and keep a closer eye on something or just it so yeah they can they can do so much stuff now um even like if the baby needs a operation before it's born which is crazy 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 to think um but yeah they can do that and yeah it's just to keep a nice close eye on the baby and make sure that everything is as it should be and it's the last scan as well it is the last scan in the uk which is again it blows my mind that you don't get to see your baby Mm. until it's born which could be a whole 22 weeks later yeah yeah that is which is madness but yeah so my experience ollie was here and that's why we booked it for that day the baby had grown a lot it was lovely it was actually moving and awake for a change because the two other scans that ollie had experienced the baby was essentially back turned to us not moving asleep so <laughs> it was a lovely thing to experience that together and seeing the baby moving and um, they did all the measurements everything was fine and then i had to have a, a second internal scan of my cervix to follow up from the first one which was about a month before that and one of the things that was really funny about this experience was the sonographer was done all his measurements and he was just kind of showing us the bits that he was like right now I'm just going to kind of show you, I'm, I'm going to keep talking now and I'm going to show you all the bits of the baby and like there's the nose and the lips and oh there's the hands and you can see all the bones and the fingers moving like crazy is this the internal or the external the um no the external just the sound oh okay i was gonna say if that's internal i've never seen one that's amazing (laughs) no 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 no. uh and then we came across the uh, one of feet and he (laughs) sort of looked at the screen and went wow i don't think i've ever seen a baby with such big feet And Ollie Aww, looked at me. <laughs> Ollie looked at me and then said, "It's got feet like me." <laughs> Aww, I'm sure you've got lovely feet. <laughs> it did have exceptionally big feet though, which was very funny. But yeah, it was amazing. You could literally see every single bone in the spine. Uh, they it's incredible. The... Yeah, honestly, it's so fascinating. And to be able to see the organs functioning—that was like you explained—was just amazing yeah yeah they even um see the bladder emptying as well i believe yeah they check the bladder empties properly which yeah it's incredible it blows my mind yeah really amazing so uh then i had to wait a few days to see the consultant but um great news great not so great i suppose at the same time no great news in terms of um the, the rest of the pregnancy the midwife and the consultant were super happy with the result and they've decided that I'm no longer deemed high risk and they're just putting me back to my community midwife for the rest of Aww, my pregnancy. Sad side of that means I'm not going to be, definitely not going to be having any more scans. 
No, that's um, the only sort of downside to not being, obviously you don't want to be high risk and you don't want to be in consultant care, but it does mean that you get a lot more scans yeah. and you get to see the baby a lot more. <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, the experience that I've said this to Ollie, the experience that we had with the private clinic, which isn't far from us, if we want, if we desperately wanted to see the baby again, we could book another scan. It's no problem, and and it was a lovely experience. And but but I also think that it's part of the journey now to have the anticipation to be like, okay, the baby's clearly growing, it's putting on weight, it's done all the things, the important development that it needed to do. Now it's just the surprise at the end to see baby, which is yeah. lovely. But yeah, it was it was really uh, reassuring to know that everything is good and we're in a good place and baby's healthy and happy so yeah very good good Uh, so next let's talk more about training because I feel like quite a lot has happened since I was last on the podcast with you so when we last spoke I was 17 weeks so four weeks on things have changed quite significantly in my world in terms of training So last time we spoke, I was attending a CrossFit class and then I was also, subject to people's disbelief, going to my more bodybuilding type gym immediately after and doing a little bit of isolation work, stuff that I haven't been doing consistently for a very long time. So I wanted to reintroduce that back into my regime so that when CrossFit became completely out of reach for me and the skills and the all of the things that come with CrossFit, that I would just sort of comfortably and easily transition back into um, traditional strength training. Out and of I was really interest, what sort of stuff is that? Um, so just... Like, how is that different? So CrossFit, on, on the most part, in terms of a class, consists of a warm-up, some kind of accessory work as they would call it which is basically isolation of a muscle group so for example you might do some back isolation so it would be bent over rows uh, potentially some strict pull-ups so you're working on essentially specific muscle groups that might be relevant to the rest of the session then you might have either a skill section or a strength section so for example you could then go from your accessory work which has been more uh, smaller parts of all isolation of the back muscles into a progressive deadlift um, strength section where you might go up to your max and then the workout would be workout of the day or the wad would be something that is normally involves some kind of metabolic conditioning or metcon as the crossfit world call it which is usually between a couple of minutes and 20 minutes long that requires more high intensity um, using a number of different skills or equipment and it's normally quite taxing that's kind of how a normal crossfit class when i'm talking about more traditional strength training i'm talking about sets and reps of isolation and compound movements for example use of the machines if i was to do more of a leg bias session i would do a leg extension for three to four sets and then however many reps um so there's more like normal gym normal gym workouts yeah just 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 standard gym stuff when we're talking about resistance training so i wanted to yeah because that stuff is definitely more accessible especially use of the machines and isolation when you become 
less capable and mobile I suppose yeah and I've always thought of really important to still do this isolation work as a crossfitter because it enables you to be stronger in the compound movements of course as well so but it has something that I've been focusing on so I wanted to kind of reintroduce it back in get my mindset back into it make sure that it was something I could still find myself passionate about yeah and just before my holiday probably for about 10 days before I went I started to find myself needing to adapt and change workouts and things that we were doing in CrossFit classes more and more and more to the point where I was getting kind of frustrated but not just frustrated I was also feeling like to put it what sounds really quite horribly that I was wasting my my time and I would go to a class and feel quite deflated by I can do that but I can't do it right now having to adapt to something that was pretty easy for me and feeling like it was some not every time but there were elements of a class that I could have spent my time doing something that was challenging for me that I could do so I made the decision to essentially now just exclusively train at my second gym and I'm still doing CrossFit style class layout workouts, as you want to call it. I'm still doing some Metcon stuff, but everything I'm doing now, I am programming for myself so that I can challenge myself with movements and exercises and workouts that I can get the most out of. So just before I went on holiday, I thought holiday would be a perfect opportunity for me to start programming for myself. Now, I have already said this on a previous podcast. I'm not a CrossFit coach. It's something that I intend to do when the baby arrives. But having been in the fitness industry for a very long time, I understand the process of programming CrossFit. And there's also a lot of, just like anything, there's a lot of uh, content online that you can get access to to kind of figure these things out but it was more just about adapting to myself so whilst I was on holiday we hit the gym out of the eight days we were there we hit the gym six times I think we only did 30 minutes in the morning when you sit around do nothing all day it felt really good to move your body Um, and it wasn't a guilt thing it was just actually feeling like we both we just both wanted to and it just feels nice yeah it feels really good (laughs) and also um there was no pressure to do it you know we could kind of do whatever we wanted one morning I literally did something that will blow people's minds that know me because they know how much I hate it I literally did um a run one morning on a treadmill which is I knew you were gonna say that (laughs) yeah which is the worst kind of running on a treadmill but again, it wasn't about what I was doing. It was just about moving my body and um, getting a bit of a sweat on and mentally just kind of, you know, escaping. Um, and I think this, out of those days I was there, I created three different wads to do. So just metcons within the workout that I was doing. I really enjoyed being able to challenge myself with movements and pieces of equipment that I could still achieve and still do. So that was yeah. really nice. So in terms of the adaptations that I was having to make before I went and I'm continuing to make, I, apart from a strict pull-up, I'm now not doing anything on the rig. So no more kipping movements because I was really noticing a dome through my abdominals. That's why you like bend in half, isn't it? 
So a kip again, a kip is Sorry. essentially if you're <laughs> no, it's fine. If you're hanging from a bar, a kip is the swinging movement forward and back. So you create like yeah. a an arch going forward and then like a uh, a bowl through the rest of your body going yeah. backwards. And I was finding when I was arching forward, I was overstretching my abs and then there would be yeah. a dome and you use that movement for quite a lot of gymnastics on the rig um so it wasn't a feeling it was something that I saw now having also done a lot of research and, uh, and courses and a variety of things doming is inevitable and I know that about you know even if I just lean back now my my abs are gonna dome because that's just essential and part of the process your your abs are going to stretch and there is going to be that kind of separation that happens however putting that internal stress on your core is only going to exacerbate or it you know it make that doming more extreme and potentially make the um diastasis recti which we're going to come on to in a minute um, much harder to recover from post-pregnancy and so I just decided I didn't want to do that anymore because I want to protect my core as much as possible I also felt really good about being upside down i.e handstands <laughs> I know that sounds crazy but like anything on my hands is something that I've always felt really comfortable with so handstand walks handstand push-ups wall walks for those crossfitters out there you'll know exactly what I'm talking about and right up till I went on holiday, I was doing that and actually reflecting on that as much as I feel like I could still do it. Your core, when you are on your hands, has to work so incredibly hard that I also thought that was probably a bad idea that I continue to do that. Just thinking about the internal pressure. So I've also decided to take that away. So the things that I'm still doing for you guys that are thinking, well, what is it I can do? I'm still using a barbell. I'm doing complex movements, barbell cycling, which is where you repeatedly pick up the bar or you, uh, you know, perform a movement with the barbell over and over and over again. I'm doing strength work. So I, I build up to two to three reps, but nowhere near my max weight, what I'm capable of. I'm using dumbbells comfortably. I'm not lying on my front or doing a full push up anymore. Um, I'm also choosing not to do planks, even though research suggests that you can plank. I was also finding that I was seeing too much of a dome, which I want to avoid. So yeah, there's, and oh, naturally I'm definitely not doing any sit-ups now. So they've all just been adaptations that I have personally chosen, whether it be through research, whether it be through a feeling, whether it be through just thinking that it was the right thing to do. So what I wanted to do was just cross-reference this with the CrossFit mum recommendations that we went over very early on in this podcast. So basically what it does, I'll also put the link in there so you guys can see it. Uh, it lays out the trimesters and the adaptations that you should make as an athlete to certain movements or skills as a CrossFitter throughout your pregnancy. So we've been through first trimester. I'm going to look at the second trimester I'm going to talk about the advanced athletes because I think relevant to my skills, that's where I would look at. So it suggests that I continue to watch intensity and use the talk test. So intensity level is safe that you can converse while working out. No bench press after 20 weeks. 
no squat clean or squat snatch, no sit-ups after 20 to 24 weeks, well I haven't been doing sit-ups anyway, no inverted exercises, so essentially upside down, gymnastics excluded, squat to parallel, not below, decrease lifting loads by about 25 to 35%, when belly impedes bar path, use dumbbells for lifting instead of the, the barbell, and use sumo starts for deadlifts um, with a kettlebell or with a bar. So those are the recommendations according to this. Now, if I look through that, bench press I haven't done anyway, squat clean or squat snatch, uh, I'm not sure about that one because I'm still squatting. So I guess they're talking about below 90 degrees, um, so below parallel as they just mentioned in the squat. I, again, I think this is just subject to the load that you've got on. If you've got a really light load, then I think that you, if you feel comfortable and your hips are strong enough and the muscles surrounding are strong enough. Having said that, I did a squat this week. Didn't go really, really heavy for me. Uh, it felt really good. I think I still went below parallel. But I was very conscious about my foot positioning, which is, I know, something that you mentioned before, Charlotte, about yeah. not going too wide um, and that kind of thing. So I would suggest that apart from the not squatting below parallel, I have absolutely done all these, th these things. Um, my bump is not big enough to impede the bar path, but I am using dumbbells far more uh, because they are just so much easier to manipulate. Um and that's it really. So I feel like everything is otherwise already a given. So I'm doing pretty good according to that actually. Um, the one that interests me, the sumo stance, isn't that a lot wider and deeper than a normal squat stance? It is indeed, yeah. So it would be wider than your shoulder width. See that interests me as to why they've suggested that, so are they saying use a sumo stance instead of a normal squat stance? So they're talking about it for deadlifts. So a deadlift you would be Oh, okay, so starting a lot wider to pick up the bar, pick up the exactly. bar rather than exactly. Oh, okay. So I was going to say encouraging a sumo squat mm -hmm. like later in pregnancy, I probably wouldn't recommend because Absolutely. like we said before due to the pelvis um yeah. and increasing the chances of um pelvic girdle pain and stuff like mm -hmm. that. But mm -hmm. if it's just to pick up the bar cuz I'm guessing it gives you more stability. Absolutely, um, and, it, and that makes and a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, and it means that the 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 movement path itself will be shorter because you're closer to the oh, floor okay. to start with, so there'll be less pressure put on your um, lower back and more pressure put through your legs and your glutes. So that makes sense. But I did think the same thing when I first re read <laughs> it, exactly as you. But it is definitely about the deadlift. So yeah, I agree with that. So a couple of things that I wanted to get your take on, Charlotte. Um, let's first talk about the NHS and their outlook or recommendations or um, advice around diastasis recti. So for those of you that are not aware, this is the process of your abdominal muscles um, essentially widening and they're becoming a... I don't know what the right word is, Charlotte. Is it like a split? Because it's um, not a split. They don't split apart. It's separation. So that's the right Like, word. they don't split as in nope. they don't completely come apart, but they mm -hmm. definitely separate. <laughs> yeah. So, essentially, to allow for the growth of your baby, your abdominal muscles have to um, yeah, separate. And 
diastasis recti is something that um, happens to everyone. It's inevitable. But the severity of that separation is different for everybody. And the process of rehabilitation post-pregnancy is different for everyone. So I want to think about this as far as right up until birth, post-birth. What, as a midwife, is your responsibility in the NHS to advise ladies about diastasis recti? It's really, really shameful to say, but we don't actually, don't step in, we don't advise, we don't do anything until post-birth and if we notice that there's an issue post-birth, by which point, obviously, that's going to require a lot more rehab Mm -hmm. um, than if you're doing things in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the midwives that I worked with when I was a student, she would always say to ladies, oh, like, so when you're in bed, for example, don't just sit up. You need to roll over and sit yep. up and push yourself up. Um, she didn't really explain why to do that. It was usually just, oh, because the bump's going to get in the way. But actually looking at that, that is a form of protection against yep. diastasis recti. Um other than that it's normally like I don't know if many women would actually even know what diastasis recti or ab separation even is in pregnancy um until they are I don't know 10 days postnatal when we do Mm -hmm. a postnatal check and we go oh your abs is still quite separated maybe we need Mm -hmm. to refer you to a physio Mm -hmm. and then you get referred to a physio and that's that's that unfortunately which is really like that's so shameful to say and I really don't like that essentially nothing is done Mm -hmm. from a midwife's point of view Mm -hmm. because if people knew about it and they knew how to protect themselves you wouldn't end up with as many women having the issues with um separation after birth Mm -hmm. i agree i agree um unfortunately charlotte doesn't surprise me and i'm sure actually thinking about the conversations we've had about um you know the NHS's direction on a lot of things to women um it doesn't surprise me at all but it is what it is as we've always said the NHS have their protocol they have their guidelines and they stick to it and you get it they're busy I get it um but it does seem like a passing comment wouldn't go amiss and having done my own research of course because I care about my core and I want to be getting back to full capacity as quickly as possible post-birth I have done my research about a pelvic health uh, a pelvic health physio which essentially is a women's health physio and do you know how hard they are to come by um in Hereford there is one and granted they're they're near enough impossible to find (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and actually funnily enough on holiday uh we met a British couple the the lad is an NHS physio and the lady was currently in the process of, um, oh, she was fascinating. She's in the, in the medical world, but she spoke about uh, later on in, in her life that she hoped to become a women's health physio because it's just unbelievable how few there are. And as somebody who genuinely really cares about my recovery and rehabilitation and my body, not just now, but post-birth, um, I will be investing in that before I'm having a baby so that I can maximise that recovery. But it doesn't surprise me about the NHS, unfortunately. So what advice can we give to women about diastasis recti at this point in pregnancy where we can start to think about how we don't 
um, to, to reduce the need for rehabilitation post birth. I think a lot of it is um, sort of what you've said already um, about protecting your core mm-hmm. and even in simple day-to-day tasks like I said like getting up out of bed yeah. rather than just sitting up like doing a sit-up essentially mm-hmm. rolling over onto your side and pushing yourself up and using mm-hmm. your arm strength and not using your core muscles to do that because yeah. the main the main sort of movement that does cause the problems with the abs is that sitting up motion and Mm. like causing that dome um and then that just weakens the abs Mm -hmm. so i think a lot of it is sort of just being more aware of the movements that you're yeah doing on a daily basis Mm -hmm. particularly when you do have more of a bump and also when it's subsequent pregnancies as well Mm -hmm. first time pregnancy you're less likely to develop it it's when you've got subsequent pregnancies where the abs haven't fully come back together which is completely normal you do sometimes have a little bit of a gap uh, between the abs which is normal especially if you're not a physically active person and you don't Mm. do anything to completely knit that back together you are then a lot more likely in another pregnancy to develop problems further Mm-hmm. because they've just not come back together yeah. in the first yeah. place. So yeah. you're sort of trying to fight a battle mm-hmm. that is just going against you. Yeah, um, completely, completely. So, yeah, I think it's definitely awareness more than anything. Yeah. And like like you said, the NHS doesn't have time to invest in that. But actually, if, if um, people that work for the NHS, particularly in maternity, were taught about these things you'd actually gain back time because you wouldn't be trying to help as many women afterwards, if that makes I, sense. I could not agree with you more. It's kind and of like things with obesity. Mm-hmm. If you can tackle Absolutely. the obesity before it's an issue, you then don't have to tackle as many mm-hmm. people with type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure and stuff because you've you've, pre- you've prevented it yeah. rather than fighting it once it's already happened. I couldn't agree more. Prevention is the best solution when it comes to so many things that we have to tackle in life. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. The NHS seems to do a lot of problem fixing rather than prevention. Yeah. And that's something that I, is a whole other topic and I could talk about all day. <laughs> yeah, <But> me both. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it, there is a, if you just think about it in an instance where you've been to the doctor, you know, that sometimes they want you to get 10 times worse before they'll help you um and it just seems really um pointless counterproductive counterproductive absolutely but well that's really interesting and from my point of view I'm still as as I've said I'm still only halfway through I haven't encountered any issues with my pelvis um I'm taking all the steps that I know um make me feel comfortable that I'm doing everything correctly and to the best of my cause interest going forward but something I would encourage you ladies that do have a vested interest in your um your bodies and your your ability to rehabilitate post-pregnancy is go and have a read about pelvic health specialists and women's health physiotherapists and if it's something that you can afford, then I would suggest it's something that you all look into because I think it's a no-brainer really to invest in a specialist who can essentially help you to understand how to rehabilitate the thing that is going to be battered the most 
<laughs> being pregnant and and throughout labor so uh, that's my plan and as soon as i have any more information about what i'm doing and the process of that i will let you guys know um the final thing i just wanted to talk about because i did actually mention this on my social media a few weeks ago now i am asthmatic and something that i am continuing to do throughout pregnancy on recommendation of my midwife and doctor is to continue to take my preventative inhaler and um, i still carry a, um, a standard inhaler if i need to take it i have noticed very intermittently i.e one day it could happen a week later it could happen then the following day it could happen you know it's really intermittently that I will be incredibly breathless doing normal tasks, not training, away from training. I'm talking about walking down the stairs, not even up the <laughs> stairs. Um, you know, walking 100 metres with my dog at a moderate pace. Things that I do with ease, without thinking, have become, have become a bit more strained on certain days. And something that one of the previous guests, Emma, uh, actually informed me of was that it has a name, breathlessness without hypoxia. So this is something that I kind of anticipated later on in pregnancy when everything is really crammed in your in your tummy, you've got a baby going on, you've still got to house all your organs and your digestive system. <laughs> the big squash get, in there. <laughs> right. I kind of get it. I would understand that, you know, that you're you might become a bit more breathless but 20 weeks when your baby still isn't particularly big and yes okay you also have the size of the placenta and everything else that's going on down there I was really surprised to hear that it's actually very normal for women to experience yeah. this at this point so it is indeed <laughs> so again is it just you excuse me is it just due to the internal pressure the growth what what is the reason for it at this stage it's mainly just where the body's working so much harder than normal to pump all of that blood around, all the extra blood that you've produced over mm. the last 20 weeks mm. um, to push it to the baby and pushing it through the placenta into the baby to then receive it back from the baby, back through the placenta and then back up to your heart to be reoxygenated. Yeah. It is very normal. One thing I would say, um, were your iron levels all okay when you had your booking bloods? Yes, Everything good, yeah. It might be worth um, maybe taking something with some extra iron in it. Bearing in mind that will it can constipate you. Um, but it might be worth if um, seeing if that helps because your iron levels can drop when you're pregnant as well. So if you've ever had any iron issues, I don't know. I don't know mm. your personal <laughs> personal mm. medical history. Um, but that could be another thought as well because that can make you breathless. Interesting. That's a good note to, to give to others. Um, but I probably won't surprise you that I'm already supplementing iron. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, something a, that... it's a good thing. Every, all, all women, pregnant, not pregnant, post-pregnant, menopausal, yeah. every, all women should have extra iron in their diet. Absolutely. And we I don't, noticed, but we should. I noticed that, you know, intermittently throughout my diet, I don't eat red meat. Um, I don't eat a huge amount of green leafy vegetables I have some but not a huge amount so I th I figure you know supplementing at a time when my body truly needs it is is going to be more of an investment than it is anything else but yeah something to bear in mind for you guys and um I will talk more in weeks to come about what I learned on my nutrition course but it was so interesting about 
why we need to take these supplements, not just what the NHS does, which is inform you what you need to do. We actually spoke a lot about this last week with uh, Natalie as well, about why we need to take them and why it's important. And that's something that I've always really been interested in. Tell me to do something, I'll do it if I understand why I'm doing it. Um, yeah. So yeah, uh, but that's a great thing to know about perhaps the iron being helpful for other women. And didn't even think about it as far as um, the blood increase and uh, the need yeah, to get that the, around the body. The main yeah. breathlessness is because of it's your body's working so much harder than it is yeah. normally. Makes complete sense. Um, something <laughs> I was going to talk about today, but I think we'll save it just because of time, um, was how that related to some really interesting data that I have found um, from WHOOP. Now, those of you that might know WHOOP, might not know WHOOP, if you are part of the CrossFit community, you probably have heard of WHOOP. It's essentially a, um, I'm not sponsored by WHOOP, by the way, just want to make that really clear. (laughs) This isn't an advert. Um, It's an activity band. It's not a watch. It's not a smartwatch. It's just linked to your phone and um, it gives you data around training, sleep, recovery, um, etc. And there is a really interesting Uh, subject data about what they have found in pregnancy um, women who train and the data um, surrounding that and it's really interesting so I want to go into a bit more detail about that next time because again it's really relatable I found it to be really relatable but it's also really interesting how things change as soon as you've given birth so I want to talk about about that with you Charlotte at some point in the future but we'll leave that for today well there we go again Having not shut up for an hour, it's probably my (laughs) fault more than anyone. But uh, no, as always, insightful and a genuine, um, I'm really genuinely thankful to have you part of this journey. You've been a real help, Charlotte, so thank you again. And for those of you that don't know Charlotte, Charlotte is just about to get married next week. (laughs) So um, wishing you from all of us um, huge, huge good luck for the for the day and congratulations as well. Thanks. I hope it goes. I'm sure it would be wonderful. I'm sure it'll go swimmingly. (laughs) Of course, of course. I hope you have the best day. As always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Honestly, it's it's such a pleasure to hear from you all and, and the impact that this podcast is having on so many of you and how, how much it's helping and reassuring you guys to continue to train so productively throughout your pregnancies. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can do that on my email, info at mishapd.com or if you go to the episode notes, you will find all of the socials you can go to CrossFit versus Pregnancy on Instagram or you can contact me directly through socials as well. Otherwise, please, 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 if you could do me the favour of rating the podcast wherever you listen and subscribing, it helps others to find it. And of course, share with anyone that you think might be interested, whether they're pregnant, they already have children or they're considering getting pregnant. Hopefully it will inspire and reassure women of all kinds too to continue to train and be reassured to do so so thanks again for listening i'll be back next week and i'll see you all soon bye